0: Hey everyone, John and Andrew here.
1: Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, becoming an Iron Woman, sucking back Swedish berries, and forgetting Chrissy Wellington.
0: This is Obstacle Course.
1: Let's go. John, you're out of town next week. I am. I leave on Thursday. This week. This week. So, what are you doing?
0: I am cruising, man. I'm going on a cruise and I'm not 70, but I'm doing (laughs) it. I'm going on a cruise
1: up to Alaska, right?
0: Yeah, we're going to Alaska. And so uh this I like to say this is our first cruise, but we did go on a cruise about twelve years ago, um, when we did our Europe trip. But that was the Mediterranean. Mm. And I had similar um struggles. Reservations. Reservations, thank you, reservations, about the idea of going on a cruise even twelve years ago. But then um I'm happy to report that once I found out that they like you know, do turn down service and <laughs> leave like little chocolates in your room and even like make like little animal shapes with the towels that they fold on your bed. I was all in. <laughs> <laughs> that,
1: that's what took you from eh, I don't think so to dude, no I'm They make towel shapes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. And and you know, I just kinda lost myself in Cruise World. And plus, I mean it's 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 not hard to like something when you like wake up in Florence one day and, you know, Rome the next day and, you know, athens the following day it's it was pretty cool and our kids loved it of course they were all very young and uh, we were on carnival which i know isn't the best cruise but it's great for kids because they have kids
1: programs all day long yeah so and hey carnival cruising if you're listening you know you're you're pretty good and everything but you're not
0: it was a good entry-level cruise perhaps for a family that may not have like you know tens of thousands of dollars to spend on their cruising experience and they just want to like see a bunch of cities and experience cruising life in cruising life, Andrew, nobody knows it better than you.
1: Well, I did work on board a cruise ship for almost two years. It's true I know. um yeah, and it's it's very different than what the passenger experience is
0: yeah, so to tell me, what are some of the notable differences
1: The food, man, the food is awful for <laughs> you don't get the good stuff for no sometimes what? so. At like ten o'clock at night, if there's leftovers from the buffets from the what the passengers <sighs> eat, it comes down into the crew mess, <laughs> which that's the that's what it was called, the crew mess, and it, right. it's an aptly titled yeah. room because it was disgusting Messy. food. <laughs> okay, and that was the one good time of day, if, and there would be a lineup. People would just be waiting for like something that was actually meant for human consumption to come down into the crew mess. Normally. We would just be, we'd be working all the time, and then I did enjoy my time. I will say that. <laughs> yeah, but, I was going to say, <laughs> but um, I'm such a lover of of great food and drink. Yeah, and it was painful. It would just be like uh, piles and piles of white rice, oh. and and then some sort of fish dish that was. It, they usually wouldn't even say what type of fish it was. I like to think that they just like. Trolled a net behind the ship <laughs> as as we were moving around, and yeah. whatever they picked up, they would fry in oil. Mm, yeah. um, and then, yeah, sometimes there would be like a, a pasta station. Not every night, right. because there was probably a high cost to that. Yeah. But sometimes you got to like a little make-your own pasta station. So the food wasn't the best part of the experience for me. Whereas people go on cruise ships to just like dine oh, yeah. on wonderful meals all the time eat sure. as much as they possibly can to get their money's worth and um just experience all that wonderful gluttony but and it is it is <laughs> yeah it really is it is and which is i think why you had some of the reservations about it
0: yeah yeah so going back to my reservations um i think part of the reservations for me it's 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 a couple fold uh, it's a lot of money which you know holidays cost a lot of money so it's not just the money but it's also uh, there's a lot of waste and You know, I've tried to like avoid sort of researching how much waste there is. But, you know, I know how much waste there is in average restaurant, even an average fast food restaurant. And there's just, I mean, we're talking like truckloads of garbage. That are are being thrown out needlessly. So I'm thinking about a ship. The ship we're on, by the way, it's, uh, we went like top drawer. Um, You know, this is kind of a once in a lifetime trip for us in a way because we're going with like all all our family. So trying to find something to do with like, Sixty-five year olds and seventeen year olds mm-hmm. that everyone's going to enjoy. Yeah, a cruise is probably the best option because there's something for everyone on that.
1: It's a wonderful family experience, and yeah, there it's like a floating entertainment. Well, mecca. mecca, um, but there is a, there's an impact on environmental for the sure. environment, and yeah. there's some like pretty loose guidelines about what you're allowed to just dump off into the ocean. Is you if you're like in international waters and Obviously, like to provide electricity, to power all of like the casinos and restaurants and yeah. theaters and that. But I mean, they say it's like, you know, a floating city mm-hmm. because cities do all that stuff all the time, too. It's exactly. just another way of entertaining people, which we pour resources into doing, but whether you're on land or, or at cruises
0: sea. get so much um, bad press. Um, maybe rightly so. I'm not sure. But, but there is waste and, and there is stuff that gets thrown overboard. Like I, I, I've heard that, uh, like, is that all the human waste? Does it just get dumped in the ocean?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, so, I mean, there's no way to gloss over that. Right. I mean, so that looks really bad now from an environmental, um, standpoint, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure how horrible that is, I guess, depending on what's been flushed down the toilet. Um, if there's been some, you know, not just natural human waste, um, and I was really hoping we'd have an intro where we covered off human waste. And, and so here we are. Check. <laughs> yeah, check. Um, but, but it can't be great. And it definitely doesn't look great. And and you definitely won't find that in the brochures or on the website. No. But, but knowing that going in, <laughs> for some reason. You've searched everywhere. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, obviously I run an environmentally friendly business. And I do very much care about that. And my kids actually, all of us, Angie as well, we all care very deeply about the environment. And so part of us does sort of feel like that but then you know and and part of this part of this intro comes from me actually calling andrew and saying i need a coaching session to help me get excited about this
1: mm-hmm. you're doing something that you want to be excited about but doesn't necessarily align with your values right it's hard to be perfect right it's hard to yeah I always mean, like live your life i mean i've know, managed but it's so hard <laughs> it's super hard I mean... <laughs> so we have to come to the terms of the fact that we are making an impact. The planet is changing, mm-hmm. and if you want to take a cruise with your family to have amazing family time, that's just a choice that you're making, and you're not gonna just go home and and say, "Okay, I, I don't care about the planet anymore." Um, no, it's just yeah. it's it, we have to make trade offs.
0: Well, and, and like like I said earlier, like literally the obstacle of trying to find an activity for eight people who are aged 17 to 65 with wildly different tastes in in comfort zones you know there's people in there that are deeply shy there's people there to like want to be around people all the time what's one activity you can go away for with a week for a week and and appeal to all those people like a cruise is probably one of the best options that's ultimately why we decided this was a couple years ago and and you know i think by thursday i'll finally be in a good mindset but just for anybody who sees on my social media that I'm going cruising and starts to judge me, j- just know that <laughs> I know what you're saying and, and I hear what you're saying. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, you you got to pick, make a decision that you think's best for your family, and you also got to keep, you know, the big picture in 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 mind.
1: So is it is this um, apprehension more about you judging yourself and your values, or about other people judging them?
0: You know, I, I may have opened up about this before, but. But something I've struggled with my whole life is always being keenly aware of what people may think of me and reputation. And I've worked hard to to build a good reputation. I think we all do. And so it's probably just my inner voice combining with my, my little, uh, neuroticism about what people are thinking. And realistically, people are not thinking about us as much as we're thinking about us. (laughs) We all know this. And they'll probably be like, oh, cool. I just need to let it go. I mean, I love the environment for the record, (laughs) you know, (laughs) And uh, by going on a cruise, this is not a, uh, you know, a fuck you to the environment. You know, no. This is a, I love you to my family, if anything.
1: How do you feel now?
0: You know, Andrew, I feel like I always do after a mini coaching session <laughs> with you. You've asked good questions and I think I've, I've just... Rambled, and uh, just the act of rambling, which will be my memoir title for sure. <laughs> just the act of—it's gonna uh, be a long memoir. <laughs> the, the act of rambling brings a uh, brings a sense of peace and, and, and comfort, and and uh, and it's gonna be a great job. And and to be honest, the new cruise ships. They, they're doing a lot better job when it comes to the environment. I mean, it's not like
1: it's just. Is that what you read in their brochures when I mean, you're like, <laughs> looking for all this stuff on the human waste?
2: I'm just like,
0: that's what I goo. Do. They're doing a better job, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, but you're the insider. Like, you got to have one or two, like, amazing stories, man. Like, I, you took, your experience has got to be better than just like. <laughs> Being Shit. sad and, and eating the scraps of the of the first class people <laughs>
1: above. It, it was an amazing life experience. Yeah,
0: you did it for two years, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah just about crazy. Um, when you're er- in your early twenties,
1: early twenties. So I was working for Disney Cruise Line. Oh man, uh, I got to dress up as crazy characters. I did choreographed dance routines in front of <laughs> wow, a couple thousand people. Terrible though. I was so terrible Were that you? the entire rest of the <laughs> The cruise staff just made ridiculously uh, in my face fun of me because I just I they were all like trained dancers and entertainers. So why were you doing it? I I kind of fell into the role and they were just like, yeah, yeah, Andy can do it. Um, And then I was up there and I was terribly coordinated and yeah, I wanted to get out of there.
0: Is there any video, please, please? I wish if there's anyone.
1: Um, I hosted quite a few game shows and wow. like those sorts of things I was way more in my zone at, and I wish there was some video of that too when I like Car- Pirates of the Caribbean had just come out. Yeah. so I got like a full suited pirate costume like tailored basically wow. and makeup and everything like black eye, like missing teeth. so much fun. Got to host it with my buddy Pikey. Um, one time we did a, a show for just the other staff, oh, cool. um, just the other crew members, where where we like did the the shtick of that game show, but like got made it raunchy and made it hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and, I'm sure. And just the the crew got to enjoy that. And I somebody was videotaping that, and I oh, I never saw the video. Man. So if anyone's out there oh, who has that, send it to us, please. Um, yeah, that would be amazing. That would but be. It, it was probably on like VHS. And uh, <laughs> nobody can use those anymore, anyways. I will say one thing, not to take away your cruise magic, but we yeah, often yeah. Um, we often think that like we need to go to a different continent or a different part of the world yeah. to really experience like a vacation or right. great family time. And um, if we're wanting to be like on your next trip or for anyone else, if you want to be a little more kind to the environment, just figure out what you can do within a hundred kilometers 100 miles of of where you are because there's so much beauty especially where we live in our backyard and we don't have to fly to get there which is one of the most environmentally damaging things we can do absolutely and i mean it is nice to go away it is nice it's exciting to get on a plane um but there's an impact and try to we can try to live a little more balanced
0: yeah i like the word balance um you know obviously we're we're a flying culture and it's probably not going to change anytime soon we've been on lots of planes but but trying to balance it out with i mean we live in a tourist destination right now on vancouver island Mm -hmm. i mean we've seen it all summer long the roads are thicker with with people and there's a lot of people taking pictures of things we just walk by every single day yeah and it's because there's magic around here there's so much to explore and and so so we had a fabulous guest on today as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we didn't talk too much about cruising, but we did talk a lot about cruising to victory. <laughs>
3: See, uh-huh. Andrew
0: was like, you'll never be able to connect these two <laughs> subjects. Well, eat it, Andrew, in your face. Uh, she did talk about cruising to victory in Ironman. Um, she won, won a couple championships. And um, just the journey of, of that was, was, a, was extraordinary. And then how she's sort of transitioned out of becoming a pro athlete to now having her own media company. Mm-hmm. we can say media company She's Got yep. a couple podcasts and yeah she popular was a newsletter amazing guest popular newsletter <laughs> yeah and uh yeah that was an amazing conversation
1: and a an impressive social media following she does yeah which we could probably learn something from
0: well anything over 400 <laughs> followers is impressive to us because that's how many we have so by the way if you haven't liked us and followed us on social <laughs> media you should so it's going to be a great episode, folks. Um, once again, we we dug deep, and Sarah shared um, some of her some of her deep challenges in becoming an Ironman champion. Um, I mean, just participating in Ironman is is amazing enough, but she won it uh, a couple times, and uh, we hear about her journey and, and the demons she fought along the way, um, some 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 struggles with depression, and and uh, how she. And even those and she got a PhD. We even cover that off. She, mm-hmm. some, somehow she had time to uh, get a PhD along the along the way, yeah. which is uh, which is crazy.
1: And she's finding gratitude for her struggles, which is exactly why we wanted to have her on. Thanks for listening everybody. Thanks everyone.
0: Well, our most astute listeners will know that Sarah Gross, where have I heard that name before? Oh, from episode 11.
3: Oh, am I the first person to be on two episodes?
0: Yeah, oh, you yes. are. You're the first person who gets a full episode after your 15-minute tryout. Oh, I'm so, I'm so excited <laughs> that
3: I won the tryout. That's yeah, you did. Personal win. Yeah.
1: yeah, so we had you back on when we were at the Your Entrepreneur Summit, which is where mm-hmm. we all met. Yeah.
3: Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: We were even table buddies table at the buddies. summit. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So we got to sit each other. We were supposed to follow up. Remember we did an exercise. I know, <laughs> whole, and, yeah. And it. And I remember being like, "Yeah, I will." I, you I saw. Experience. I saw the
3: like intention in your eyes, and
1: then I was just like, <laughs> like, "So, so it took intention. a little longer."
3: That's right. That's okay. Yeah.
1: Because that was back about six months ago. Yeah.
3: To be fair, I didn't follow up with you either. No.
1: So. Yeah, we're yeah. mutually to blame. That's right. We're but good. we're here now. Yeah. And. You're also the first guest. Well, I guess the second guest because we had Blair who has his own podcast. But you are part of two podcasts at this part. Yes, at this point. Mm -hmm. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about those and what you're all about?
3: Sure. So, a couple years ago, I started a media company called Live Feisty Media, um, and we started with with one podcast called Iron Women that I had already been producing with another brand. Uh, and that's been, so it's been going for three years. And then we started a second podcast called If We Were Riding, um, and that's the one that I'm on with my co-host Kelly. And those are both, um, about, cause I was a pro triathlete. Um, so those were, those are both about triathlon. So in Iron Women, we, um, interview pro women mostly in that in the Ironman race and also influential women and people who have sort of done big things in the triathlon space. And then so it's an interview based show and then on if we were riding it's a little bit more edgy so Kelly and I often talk about triathlon news but opinions and the social context of triathlon if that makes sense so we're a bit it's called if we were riding because it's the kind of stuff we would talk about if we were riding bikes together it must be hard
0: recording while you're riding eh? <laughs> <laughs> to, to get the sound to, all you hear is just this,
3: just like because, yeah <laughs> and the wind blowing the yeah wind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the driver's swearing at the cyclist yeah.
3: <laughs> people yeah. do tell us they take us r- running with them or cycling and that yeah. they feel like we're right there with them so i feel like that's, that's a,
1: cool that's yeah. A win. yeah do you not it find it's a little unsafe to when you're cycling to have headphones in because <laughs> it
3: probably is
1: <laughs> yeah i mean especially road <laughs> cycling because yeah. i i i'm on my bike pretty often not yeah. in a competitive Mm -hmm. unless there's in your mind you are well (laughs) or if there's somebody who's like in the jersey that's ahead of me on a trail then i just try to keep up with you're that guy (laughs) (laughs) some some
3: of those people like the commuters that come by you like you're like i'm a professional athlete riding with my other professional athlete friends like commuters will come by us with the panniers you know and (laughs) like laptops kind of like full speech just like oh my god yeah, so geez. no i'm not that guy no, <laughs> no. not at no. all no, no, not you sometimes
1: <laughs> anyways i i find it's kind of unsafe mm-hmm. because if you're out on the roads like i'm i'm listening for cars yeah. behind me more than i am looking around so i think i just think what it's really unsafe a lot of the time when you're out on the road anyways and if you take away one of your most important senses That's when true. you're out there
3: i'm an expert in this field so so you can you can put something in your ears at a level where you can still hear the traffic. Yeah, That's possible. So that's sort of what I used to do because definitely we're aware, and especially now in Victoria, it's so busy. um, And I, being in triathlon for so long, have lost way too many friends to bike crashes. So Mm
2: -hmm. it's Mm.
3: something definitely that I'm aware of and I would never put it loud enough that i do when i'm running put my music so loud i'm not going to hear anything at all but but when i'm biking i wouldn't put something loud enough that i can't actually hear the traffic
0: yeah so just to be clear they really aren't recording while riding (laughs) (laughs) in in case you were still wondering (laughs) they seem to be joking but are they recording no they're not but that would be badass all right there's another first for sarah too though we we have we have three firsts okay so the first one was first one to be on the podcast twice The second one was the first one. Well, not the first, I guess. She's tied with Blair with having her own podcast, although she has two. So she's the first with two podcasts. The other first is there is no other guest we've had who has their own Wikipedia page.
3: This surprises (laughs) me. Did you (laughs) even know that you
0: had a Wikipedia page?
3: Oh, I knew. I Uh, I wondered (laughs) because people often mention it to me and it's slightly inaccurate. And I often wonder who made that. It's been there for over a decade yeah. wow. I don't know who decided to go on but like I just I googled by. your name
0: right mm-hmm. oh let's start some research made my pot of tea I was like Sarah Gross and it was just like Wikipedia and I'm like what is this the <laughs> same Sarah and I read, and that's where I found out so many interesting things about you. And is it pretty accurate? Because a it, lot of Wikipedia think, pages can be wrong.
3: Yeah, I yeah. think some of the details further down are slightly, they're, they're <laughs> mostly accurate. Okay. I, I can't really remember what's on there, but all the major things. <laughs> yeah. like, I think the reason, I, I won a European championship really early in my yes. triathlon career. And I think that it, it appeared shortly after that. So ah. I think someone felt that that was worthy and put it up. Um, And there were, like, some, you know, some media around that. So
0: Yeah, but that's that's amazing. Goals, right? Hashtag goals. Yeah. On Wikipedia page.
1: We'll get there someday. Because we don't have one. Yeah. (laughs) We can make (laughs) one for each other. (laughs) That's a thing. I
3: I could just go home right now and make you guys Wikipedia pages. Yeah, do
0: it. Okay.
1: (laughs) We wouldn't mind. (laughs) So shifting into a bit more of a focus on the triathlon career, Mm -hmm. you mentioned you had that first win pretty early and i i know we've chatted a little bit about how that was a bit of a blessing and a curse that early success do you want to take us should should we start there in in the triathlon um the first european championship Mm -hmm. where were you and and what was that experience like
3: okay so i was living in the uk at the time in edinburgh in scotland and i was on the scottish national team um, and I think this is true. I was thinking about it when I was running this morning. I think it's true with so many things in life is you have kind of an early success at something. Mm-hmm. I think entrepreneurship works the same way where you you have an idea, you float it, everybody likes it and then the really hard shit starts mm-hmm. right And it's the same thing with with becoming a professional athlete is like you're getting good at something, you're improving, you're improving, you have a couple wins. And then the really hard work starts because you're trying to make a career out of it, mm. right? So that same thing happened to me where I was, you know, I was trying to get on a national team. So I was working really, really hard on my sport, uh, and then I got chosen. I went to a European Championship and and a long course Championship. So it's not Ironman distance; it takes about I don't know six and a half, seven hours. Um, and I and then I won. I wasn't expecting to win, and I won. Um, and I came sixth at Long Course Worlds that year. Wow. Um, and to be fair, that's not it's not a it's a more competitive race in europe it's not as competitive as ironman racing just just to be clear on that for your listeners but we're still impressed it was was something that happened really quickly in a short period of time Um, and then i decided i wanted to make the jump to ironman racing and uh, that's what took a really long time to uh to get really good at on a world level
1: question on that now you were competing for UK mm-hmm. at the time born in Canada mm-hmm. You were I think living in edinburgh at the time mm-hmm. you'd gone there for schooling mm-hmm. What made the decision to compete for the uk and and was there Was that a tough decision or or was it fairly simple?
3: It was a fairly simple decision. I think for me. I had lived abroad so much by that point in my life I didn't really feel very Canadian. I didn't feel very connected to a particular place. So and in Scotland, there's a bit of a loophole because you can, if you live there for three years, you can be on a national team. So uh, okay. that's how, and I was training there and I was training with other women on their national team. So it was kind of a natural thing for me to. And, and I had a coach there who sort of went to bat for me and um, got me a a start or a, I would say like a tryout, I suppose, for their national team. Hmm. Uh, and then I, I trained with them for a long time um, for... I don't know half my career actually so probably for six years and yeah it was it was a fun part of my life
0: so how did how did it all start sarah like most pro athletes you know they they you know there's videos of them as two-year-olds dribbling basketballs if they're a basketball player (laughs) was this you did you start at a young age where where you're i just want to run i just want to (laughs) swim i just want to ride my bike like how did that start for you your fitness journey
3: yeah, triathlon isn't yet, but it's becoming more, it isn't yet that sport where you have to be like Tiger Woods, whose dad right. is like forcing him to, yeah, t- yeah, <laughs> to yeah. hit balls when right. he's really young. Yeah. Um, or <laughs> or tennis. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it is a sport you can still kind of grow into a yeah. little bit. But I did play sport a lot mm, as okay. a kid. Um, and I played soccer. And definitely I feel lucky, especially having lived in the UK and lived in the Middle East and other places where uh, – Girls don't necess- aren't necessarily push into sport as much as I felt that I was. I felt like I just I played sport like every kid, you know, um, and it didn't occur to me at all that being a girl was a reason not to play sport until I started to travel. So I feel really lucky to have that time as a young person in Canada.
1: Mm-hmm. And you did travel a lot, and, and as you mentioned, live in a lot of different places in the world while you were still growing up, and and in your early life. How did that affect your upbringing? Was it Was it a great experience to be able to see different cultures? Or did you feel like you didn't really have a place to call home? Because you also lived in D- Dubai, right?
3: Yes, we lived outside Dubai. That might be one of the things that's inconsistent on the Wikipedia page. It was inland from Dubai, about an hour, yeah. where we moved. We moved there at a really strange time. I think it would be strange for any kid. To move, like I was 13 years old, mm, right? Wow! And I had lived in one place in Ontario for the whole of my life up until that point.
0: So you moved to Dubai when you were 13. Yeah, that has got to be probably the toughest age to move at all, let alone that kind of a move. So
2: yeah,
3: yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and United Arab Emirates was not what it is now in Dubai. Nobody understood where we were moving to. People thought we were moving to Saudi Arabia because that's the only place I'd ever heard of. There was just this complete lack of. Understanding like now, if you say Dubai, everybody knows what that is, um, and in, and also it was a it was a small town that was outside of Dubai, so mm. there was one international school where people spoke English. And I literally mm. had there was about thirty kids in my class, and I I think there there weren't even two from the same country. There might have been two Egyptian kids. It, I mean, <laughs> I would have to think about it and count. Like literally, everybody came from a different place. Wow. Um, and I was definitely a minority um, having being white. Uh, and so the cultural change was really, really hard. And the first year was really, really hard. Like there's mm-hmm. no uh, underestimating that or denying it. Um, and then by the second year, because you're 13 years old and you're adaptable. And <laughs> by the second year, I kind of started to adapt. I made all, all of the friends, like all the friends from my first year were all the other kind of western kids so right. it was like the australian girl and the girl <laughs> from, from england and right. those were my friends that i made the first year and right. then the second year i noticed i started to make more friends who were more my people like it was more about their character and personality than about where they were from in terms of how we bonded so one of my best friends from that time was from lebanon mm. um, and then i just felt um more kind of immersed in the culture and more i was just more easy about living there does that make sense
0: yeah totally what was what was the hardest part about that first year like was there some notable sort of experiences you'd like to share for the listeners or um, was it just the nature of what happened that was difficult or was there some specific thing that that was really difficult for you yeah
3: that's a good question i i think if i try to unpack that i think it's probably because you're age 13 and you're just starting to uh, create that kind of distance from your parents and you're trying to you're trying to make your own way in the world. You're starting that process. yeah. Um, and then, and my friends were really important to me. I think they're really important to everyone at that time. Mm. And then you, and then we suddenly just had this big jump into. Mm. So I think that it was probably a loneliness that would be hard to um, understand or, or reproduce that I had to then um, change. I had to wait until I changed <laughs> To fit in again in my environment. Hmm.
0: I mean, I moved from Saskatchewan to Manitoba when I was the same age. And that was like traumatic for That's me. That's hard enough. It, it was the hardest year of my life. Yeah. And, and I've talked about that. So I can't imagine you moving from Ontario to Dubai. I mean, I just, there's so many things going on there. So, yeah. And on top of yeah. it,
3: it was, it was a time in my, I I rec- I know now or I, I've later learned, it was a time in my parents' marriage where they were trying to make a go of it and had decided okay. to make this big life change mm. to, um, sort of re- rekindle their thing, which ultimately didn't work, <laughs> but, yeah. but that, so it was, there was a hard family dynamic too. Yeah. So we weren't close. Like mm. later in life, when I was in counseling, that was one thing the counselor reacted to. She's like, okay, so you didn't have a close family. Mm. And then also you right. had to leave all your friends. Uh. And so that was what made that so, um, such a hard transition. But like I say, like that second year I'm I'm actually really glad for it because after that second year I feel like it changed me as a person, right? Mm-hmm. And and even though I had to grow up really quickly, I'm really grateful for who I am now as a result. Yeah, yeah.
1: I was curious what you might have learned in that experience that that you were then able to use uh, in your later life.
3: That's a wow. Oh. <laughs> I kind of tried to warn you. I never unpacked.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Andrew typically pulls these questions up, (laughs) and we're we're twelve minutes in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. Um,
3: (laughs) I think I I, it created it created for me um, a kind of independence that I really um, that I really appreciate in myself now. So, a couple years later, or three years later, when I went to university, I was this like 17 year old at, I come back to Ontario for university and I rec- I was there like by myself. I remember waiting in line to get, you know, the little fridges you used to get in to have in res which yeah, you, like, yeah. in your room. Yeah. I was waiting in line for the little cube fridge, freezer, <laughs> fridge, freezer things. <laughs> yeah. And um, everyone was there with their parents. Mm. Right. And it didn't even occur to me at that point to have my, mm. my parents there. And to, so I think I, um, it, it taught me sort of, to be independent on one hand and then on the other hand, to be extremely open about when I'm meeting people and about who they are and Mm. what their cultural assumptions might be. Also, I recognize that the way that you, like things around language and how we create the world and how we name the world, like because in in Arabic, the world is is named a completely different way and that's what creates our reality, right? So understanding... Mm -hmm like having been immersed in that and understanding that in an essential way, like that's part of who I am changes. Then how I engage with people or how I, I think it's, I don't know. I don't know how other people like meet new people and take on who they are or whatever. But I imagine, um, that would, yeah, I I feel like I'm pretty open to who someone is.
0: That totally makes sense. Does it? Okay. I'm totally tracking (laughs) with you. Okay. I, I am curious about that, that year, that first year, where your safe spots were like where could you go to feel safe and, and experience some sort of perhaps joy or just you know another word for me andrew solace okay. yeah solace
3: that's a good okay that's okay yeah. now yeah that's a really great i keep saying it's a really great question i should stop um we we no, like no, it. keep saying it. <laughs> it's, it's you know what it does is it like gives me a pause to think about something right? yes. yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, I I think there was a time and I think that's probably gets to the essence of what was so hard about feeling isolated in a different country is that I probably didn't have safe spots for a little while. Mm -hmm. And that was probably part of a loneliness. Um, Eventually, what immediately came to mind when you were asking the question was I had a boyfriend for two years in high school. He was kind of the first boyfriend that I was close to. Mm -hmm. And he was he was actually from Zaire. And he had this really interesting story about he had lived partially in Phoenix. um, And as someone from Zaire living in Phoenix, like he'd been chased by skinheads. You know, he'd had friends involved with gangs. Like he had all these really interesting stories um, and things that had affected his life. Uh, And he he wanted to be a music producer, which he did become. And Mm. he used to make me these tapes that were as if he was. A radio DJ <laughs> hmm. and and he would but it was really just for me he'd tell me all his favorite songs just like the mixtapes yeah like mixtapes classic mixtapes yeah, yeah and so nice. like that I mean how much solace I used to find in that relationship uh, that we had and then his like little mixtapes that I could take with me you know and I could hear his voice telling me his stories from his life as he was pretending to be DJ on me uh, <laughs> that's just what came to mind yeah I that love it, that. that is awesome <laughs>
1: um, to flash forward a ways, you have in the last few years gone back to Dubai and uh, just reading some of your blogs. And this was a few years ago now. But I wonder what differences you noticed in the culture and, and maybe what similarities.
3: Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I had a yeah I had a contract in 2016 with Bahrain, actually, which is another GCC country, but similar to Dubai, but different. Still an open country in terms of what you're allowed to wear and what women are allowed to do and stuff like that. And I went to Dubai and Abu Dhabi a couple times for races with them. Um, The the biggest difference I noticed, because I later went back and I trained quite a bit in Dubai in the winter. And when we went to local races, it was all expats. So it was all Westerners who did triathlon then. And one thing I really noticed was how many local people were doing triathlon in Bahrain and in Dubai. And then also how many covered women or um, Arab Muslim women had also started doing the sport, which was super encouraging for mm-hmm. me. That was something I, I really noticed and, and liked. Um, and I'm sure it represents a cultural change.
0: Yeah. And I think I think this is a good spot that leads to um, when you went to school and decided to do a pretty hard degree. I think that's what Ph.D. stands for. <laughs> Terrible joke. Um, so, so you, you got a degree in? Um, is it was it women's studies? Is that is that what it was? Yeah.
3: So I studied like I studied world religions for my undergrad and my masters, and I really wanted to study history, and yeah. I wanted to do women's history. So I kind of turned, and luckily with a PhD, you have to choose something super micro that yeah. nobody else has ever thought of studying before. So um, I chose a period in history and compared. Different women's communities and different religious traditions, and how much sort of freedoms those women had. So yeah, it was a bit of history, a bit of feminist methodology um, related to history. A bit of like I I love studying religion because I feel like it's a study of how, as humans, we've philosophized or whatever, how we've figured out our reality. You know, in different parts of the world. That's why I loved studying religious studies um so yeah i sort of combined all those all those interests into a phd level thing
0: yeah and you did a dissertation on basically the role of women in in society and religion in the first couple hundred centuries ad right is that correct That must have been a short paper. There was no, (laughs) there was no involvement. There was was no freedoms.
3: Exactly. Well, and that's what people like, that's the thing is like, that's what people assume. It's easy to think that. Yeah. So very quickly, like you, you end up in this situation where you realize that the wrong questions have been asked in history. Uh Right. Mm -hmm. So instead of a, a lot of historians, traditionally will, will ask about what, you know, what the men are doing, what wars are being fought, who's the king, who's in charge, you know, and, and if you start asking other questions, like, what were the poor people doing? <laughs> what were women doing? Mm-hmm. You know, you can get some answers to those questions. Not as much as as you can get answers for people who could write texts and leave them behind, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. But um, you, you were able to get... Like, I was actually... A good story for this is I was super inspired by a woman who um, had done some research on... Jewish history around the same time period as me and she had found um, a tombstone that said that had a woman's name on it it said a woman's name and then head of the synagogue wow yeah and that was like it was an archaeological find and and the people who had interpreted that actually said oh well it couldn't have been a woman we assume it was like a typo, yeah. <laughs> on this tombstone on the rock, right? And and that kind of that information had been passed on through generations of historians, you know. And she went, "Whoa, whoa, wait a second like what if it's not a typo what if there was a woman who was head of the synagogue like how would that change how we see history Mm -hmm. and so just in asking a different question it was like oh yeah of course of course it's not a typo (laughs) right so there were a lot of there's a lot of that kind of stuff in all of history is assumptions about um assumptions in the interpretation of what you're reading or seeing so that Mm -hmm. was a big part of what i studied as well as like how we do history, how we ask questions. So that to make sure I was also asking the right questions or questions that, different questions. Yeah,
1: challenging assumptions and and pop. So it was around 19 that you first found triathlon from your potentially correct Wikipedia page or maybe your blog. Uh, We'll fact check it. Um, (laughs) And I understand that part of the reason you were drawn to it was i i believe you you used the word depression and and loneliness has come up and and independence has come up as well in our conversation here and it is a pretty independent sport Mm -hmm. and it it requires a lot of time training by yourself and i know there is some team dynamics in, in the sport as well but how did that independence that um desire to kind of go off on your own and, and be strong, how did that play into the choice to, to pursue triathlon?
3: Wow.
0: That is a great question, Andrew. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> how did that, okay, that sense of independence and trying to be strong. Yeah. I don't know if I would, I don't know if that's what I would, can i change your question yes (laughs) i don't know if that's what i would necessarily identify as the reason like i think you know when we when we talked earlier um about doing this podcast and when i look back on why i got into triathlon and why i became so passionate about it um it does actually it stems to a point in my life where around 19 i had clinical depression um and by that i mean the reason i want to call it clinical depression is when you experience some something i was experiencing a deep sadness where i didn't feel like it was connected to anything in reality mm-hmm. versus like a day to day trigger based depression where you know if if a if a loved one passes away right. you have a depression that that's a different kind of depression um and so and i um yeah i did psychotherapy to Um, to try to understand why I ended up in that situation. Um, But one of the things that helped me the most was at that time I was just running and swimming. um, And I recognized there were some days where I I went through um, where I would, the only time I wouldn't be crying during the day was when I was running. Hmm. Right. And so I sort of, I had that mental health piece, I guess, that was, Really, um, like the running was kind of keeping me going and was giving me something to look forward to, so i could I'd know I'd have this period every day in my life of my life where I could run and then for a little bit afterwards would feel good. Uh, and so I sort of recognized that as the reason why then, later when I got better and better at spo- at triathlon and the opportunity was there, seemed to be there, that I could maybe. a pro make money at it and do it as my career it seemed really um, like an obvious thing for me because that's where I found so much joy you know so later even when I'm not after the after I dealt with the depression or got it under control I um, still had so much positive around just exercising in general like it was the thing that that drove me forward so
0: I like how you made the distinction between clinical versus, I think, situational. Yes. um, Like you're talking about, because in hearing your story, it might be might be easy to think, well, you know, she was ripped away from her home at 13, put in another place, which was like totally different culture. And then you talked about your parents' marriage was was was, you know, not doing as well. Those are two things that you would think would cause a teenager to maybe fall into depression. But what you're saying is. Those perhaps were operating the background, but it was much deeper than that. Like it was, uh, when you say clinical, are you talking about there was some, like a brain chemistry thing going on? Is that what you mean by that?
3: Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. it, those things. I don't know if I could completely ever separate those things no, and go. It's like one or the other. But right. I definitely experienced it as being. I think I was in second year university, as just being a normal, you know, normal up and having normal up and down emotions of yeah. a nineteen-year-old. A yeah. To being sad all the time all of a sudden it, I think it came on over very quickly over a couple of weeks I remember thinking walking down the street thinking why am I sad all the time like mm. there was nothing there was no trigger event in my no. life at the time
0: huh. it like um, descended on you and then you were
3: yeah sort of stuck in it yeah
1: what about running do you think made the tears stop
3: I actually think it's I think it's Physiological, like I think, is like the biology of whatever. I mean, someone who knows about this will be able to tell you, like the endorphins that are created in your brain. Um, I, th- I think it's, I think it's just the physical response to not just running but exercise. Running happens to be quite hard in terms of, in terms of exercise in general, so it probably has a bigger effect than, than most things. Yeah.
1: Would you say that it's a common theme in your life to be drawn towards things that are hard?
3: Probably. Yeah, I think I, I think I'm probably someone who needs to be challenged. Again, like I had some challenges early that I dealt with. Um, I felt like I didn't feel like school was that big of a challenge, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was always looking to be challenged. And, and even now, um, studying like starting a media company that was part of the appeal for me. It's like this is really hard <laughs> and I might not succeed <laughs> mm. And and I like that level of challenge where you don't quite you, you know You don't same with I mean with with Iron Man, it, it is really hard It's really hard just to complete and then to try to be good at it It just felt like that kind of challenge where I didn't know if I could really do it And so that made it way more fun to try
0: mm. but I mean for you to take on these new challenges that Andrew's talking about um like you would have had to get through the woods of of the, of your depression, like the darkest part, like how long did it take for you to kind of perhaps get
3: out of the woods? I think, you know, I think it took about a year. Okay. That first bout of the, of really bad depression. Um, I had a second bout that was pretty bad. I'd say 10 years later for a couple months but really, um, what one thing I was really glad—I was really glad for um, my counselor at the time, who really, she really helped me to gain some skills that I could use to um, to get myself into a better place. And and um, I can I can say honestly, I know for a lot of people that depression is a lifelong struggle, and it's not really been for me. Okay. Um, I definitely after I worked through um, some of the. You know, some of the darkness that I had around, like I was also adopted. Um, so I had to I had to work through like family troubles, being mm-hmm. adopted, all of these things, moving around a lot and figuring out who I am, mm-hmm. how to, you know, um, make uh, relationships, like how to create relationships that were meaningful. Uh, those kinds of skills that then I had to learn. Really quickly, except the other one. The other side of it is accepting your family for who they are. Yeah. Um. Like that. That whole process. The whole process of growing up and realizing that you're responsible for your own shit. Mm -hmm. Um. That happened to Mm -hmm. me in this really condensed time (laughs) when (laughs) I was 19 and 20. Um. And so I feel really. Again, I feel really grateful for that time because Mm -hmm. of all this. The skills that I have. So, I like that I had that time and I, fe- I can feel for people who have mental health struggles but um, I guess I can't yeah I can't say that I'm someone who on a day-to-day week-to-week basis I I don't really have that ongoing struggle okay. but I do feel for people like if people if that kind of darkness came back and came back and came back through your life like it's hard for me to imagine like that even just saying that like breaks my heart you know mm-hmm. like I can really feel that for people who struggle
2: mm-hmm. so
3: mm-hmm i don't even know if i answered your question no
0: you did that was great um
1: i'm really interested in in just a couple of those themes that you're speaking about and and because you're finding gratitude in in the things that were major challenges Mm -hmm. adoption the the move um your even your depression and mental health challenges and and also kind of the that achievement oriented mindset and and pursuing things that are really difficult because um, those things can sometimes not be aligned I, i'm thinking of the success paradox when the achievement oriented people are always wanting to do something hard and and they they complete it and then they find the next thing that's really hard and often have challenges finding gratitude for for the present or feeling good about that hard thing that they've just um found su- success with so mm-hmm um mm-hmm. is is that something you've struggled with that that success paradox the the desire to always want something harder or does that gratitude kind of balance it out
3: i i do feel that i've been able to balance it maybe partially because of um those experiences that i talked about um one thing one thing with iron man that we talk about in like in my triathlon community a lot, is that after you do, especially for an amateur athlete, but even for us pros, especially if you win, um, that after that, there's this massive letdown. Like yeah. there's the depression that follows. For sure. um, my friend and I used to call it psychotic September. When I in Canada used to be in August, hmm. <laughs> then all of the athletes we coached would be... Would struggle in September, mm-hmm. and we knew that was coming, you know, and we would try our best to help people through that. Um, so I think that's probably fairly normal. And again, I it's interesting. I um, I started writing recently. I started writing again and trying to write about some of the experiences as an athlete that I think um, that I think can be applied to to other parts of life mm-hmm. um and one of them right there is that uh i was talking to someone about this the other day is that when you when you do an ironman a big thing so let's say you have a really big goal in your life you do what you complete it like you get a degree or you, whatever it is or you do ironman you're expecting that downswing period right but for us as pro athletes what we would do is we would keep moving because we always had another race to do right, right? Yeah. and we always and so typically what you do is you do the big thing and then you go oh it's gonna be great i don't have to study anymore next week i don't have to do all these things <laughs> you know right yeah. and that's i think that that's actually what creates the downswing is that you literally just stopped all the things that were creating meaning in your life right mm-hmm. and then and then we wonder why mm-hmm. we feel down right mm-hmm. but as a pro we would i might have done three or four Ironmans in a year. So the next week, like I'm not out doing hard training, but I'm out on my bike spinning. All of like my world just continues to take over. Like I still have to, I still have to go out on my bike. I still have to swim or else I'm going to lose my stroke, you know? Um, so I think that for anything in that kind of category, if you've built up to it, um, it would probably be prudent to <laughs> to figure out you know, what it is that's creating meaning for you in that and to keep doing those things on Monday morning <laughs> um, to avoid that depression. So
0: like we talk a lot about balance, right? So instead mm-hmm. of just being all in and then just all out and then try and get back in, you know, is is not wise. It's maybe just tapering down a bit and still right. in, being involved in those meaningful activities, but not necessarily to the level of, you know, getting ready for an Ironman yeah. competition. And,
1: and what I'm hearing is like, Determining what the purpose and motivation is behind right that goal and mm-hmm. then even if you know You're not going to just jump into like getting another PhD after completing your PhD Yeah, but finding out what it is about getting that PhD that's important and then mm-hmm. Setting other things up in your life that are in relation and aligned with that. Value.
3: Yeah. Yeah, you guys brought that Yeah, you guys said it better than me. I, I think that's true
1: team We're working together, yeah. <laughs> but
0: speaking of balance, um I did spend some time reading through some of your older blogs. You know, you, you when I told Sarah uh, last night, she's like, uh, "Which blog were you reading?" Like, oh no! <laughs> you know, but uh, it was the, it was an older one. Like some of the posts were literally ten years ago, like two thousand nine, two thousand ten, like all this kind of stuff. And your I see your mind racing right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I won't bring up any of the. Did uh, you see
3: the video of me when I'm pregnant and biking? Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. You had a lot of yeah
0: okay, you had a lot was of your, your daughter was, is it Rosalie she came along? Um, yeah how many years ago was that was that was a long time ago she's 29. So oh yeah, nine, I would nine, have been ten pregnant years. ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, one of the one of the posts that stood out to me was <laughs> I remember the dates and I'm sure you're not gonna remember, but it was November 19th. You're about to do a race in um, Arizona, mm-hmm. and, and and you're just talking about, hey, I'm you know I'm relaxing, I'm feeling good the night before. We just had some chips and salsa and guacamole. You're like, boy, I boy, boy you this really is did everything right. <laughs> and then and then you say you say a line at one point near the end where it's like, you know, I've had a little bit of um, um, the word you used, a little bit. I'm a, I've been a little apprehensive about this race, but you know, I think it's gonna I think it's gonna work out and it's gonna be good. And then like three, four days later on November 23rd, you posted uh, what went wrong, basically, I think is what you called it. And you didn't really get into details of what what went wrong, but perhaps there's a story there you can share what went wrong. It sounds like the race didn't go the way you wanted it to. And maybe you had these lingering thoughts before then. Do you want, do you remember that? And do you want to speak to that? Oh, I
3: totally remember that. (laughs) Yeah, that was really pivotal. Um, Hmm. I, uh, that night... I remember writing that blog post and being like, I'm overdoing this a little bit. (laughs) 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 Um, The one where I was excited. Yeah. Quote, unquote, before the race. Yeah. Um, That night, I woke up. We have to get up at ridiculous, like, early to do Iron Man. So sometimes we start at 630 and you want to eat three hours before. So the alarm goes, have a 3 a.m. And I was tossing and turning. And I remember um, waking up my... just bumped your mic there. That was nice and um, dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I can remember waking up my husband at the time and being like, and crying, being like, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I can do it. Um, and looking back now, there's a combination of factors going on there. One was that after that first win that we talked about, mm-hmm. the European Championship and, and that early success, I um, I really wanted to... Uh, win an Ironman race. And I was really focused on that. And I had come second, third, fourth, fifth, a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot. which is great. You know, <laughs> I'm like saying that now and I'm like, Oh, poor me. You only came <laughs> <a> second. Um, <laughs> but it, it became, it had become really the struggle to try to win had just started to wear me down a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't know. Yeah. I just didn't know whether I was going to be able to continue with my, triathlon career I was just facing this black hole of like what will I do next am I going to admit defeat on this thing you know like that I'm not going to win I'm going to have to accept all of these seconds and thirds Um, that's going to be my career Um, and all of this stuff was going on in my head Um, and I think actually now too um, looking back I, I had undiagnosed celiac disease too at that time and so I think I was everything was harder than it should have been um, so training was harder. I was fatigued all the time. So I was mm-hmm. facing this, a tremendous amount of fatigue, this blackness around, I don't think I can ever win. What am I going to do? Um, and then I remember that morning cause, um, do, <laughs> I'm going to toot my own horn here a little bit. Yeah, we, <laughs> we have some weird issues around, um, women in triathlon, the pro women qualifying, getting a fair race. There's all kinds of Baggage there. There's all kinds of stuff that Ironman has to change that um, I later then advocated for. But at the time, the way the qualifying system worked is that the number of pros who started a race would affect how many of the pro women got to qualify for the world championship. Mm. So if I put on my timing chip and put my wetsuit on and went down to the start and got into the water, um, probably another woman would get a slot mm. um, for the, the world championship. So instead of just like crying myself to sleep and sleeping in, <laughs> like whatever I wanted to do the next day, we like I hadn't slept. We like dragged our asses to that start line in Arizona. And I like got, I had zero intention of doing the race. And I just got in the water and went over the timing chip so that someone else could like I remember. And, and that was also very hard. <laughs> like I was oh, like, I'm sure. oh, this is the last thing I want to be doing right now. Um, so
0: you then, literally took one for the team.
3: Yeah, I I felt like I had to do that because yeah. I couldn't then at the end of the day I couldn't know that I had affected that me not starting had affected someone else's chances of their mm. making their goals happen. So um that was just such a hard time. Anyway, after that I ended up um deciding to take a break and then and I had my daughter then. So yeah. So good things good things happened.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a little later in your career not to gloss over the fact that you had a daughter and and, uh, (laughs) whatever (laughs) but uh to continue the story arc of of your triathlon career you you had almost given up before finally reaching that goal of of winning do you want to get into that story
3: i guess i did come full circle and almost give up again so yeah after i had my daughter i decided i wanted to go back and train again and i had a couple really supportive sponsors at that time i was also coaching so um, financially it completely made sense i could train mostly full-time and um so and i had a lot of support with rosalie my daughter so we made it work um and i went back and to try to win again and then i was and then i was got a diagnosis on the celiac my world got a lot better um and then i thought okay you know now now I'm going to be able to win. Uh, and I kept collecting, like, seconds to fifth. Um, And I think I had just started to come to a place where I was accepting that, like, that might just be it. And it's not going to be the end of the world <laughs> if I never win Ironman. I mean, it sounds stupid saying it now because I really recognize now that it really doesn't matter that much <laughs> with, with yeah. winning.
0: So just for our listeners, when you're getting, like, seconds and thirds and fourths and, you know, you're like, oh, I wasn't winning. Like, how how many... People is that out of though? You're second out of how many people?
3: It depends on the race. So, out of you know, in the whole race, there's probably two or three thousand people, um, and probably 20 25% of them are women. Um, but then in the pro race, you know, there could be depends on sometimes there's only seven, sometimes there's 40, right? Um, depends on the world championships. Back in the day, there used to be over 100. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: I remember one of your blog posts you actually called out somebody like sort of jokingly like a, a woman that that is just always winning and just like she's she's kind of like you're like oh she's the bane of my existence I just want to be like her do you remember this post <laughs> what was her name
1: the, the one who you um, had to go through that mental exercise to make her disappear yeah
3: Oh, do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, was her so name? I think that was probably Chrissy Wellington. That was yeah. yeah. exactly
0: that's, that's who it was. Yeah. yeah.
3: So Chrissy Wellington was this amazing champion. Like she came into our sport, she was so good. She right. used to. She just improved all the women's records. Yeah. She yeah. beat most of the men. You know, right. like like no one could touch this woman right and that's a really hard environment to compete in yeah. because you're always going for second place um i always respected a lot of the women who thought there weren't that many the handful of women who thought they could beat her i respected them fully i was not one of them <laughs> <laughs> and so and so i had to make her go away mm. because she made me feel small yeah you know mm. so that was yeah i actually yeah you brought that I'm glad you brought that back up because I had forgotten about that. I went through, with my mental coach at the time, a an exercise of trying to make her just not exist. <laughs> uh, and it worked pretty well.
0: And, and like maybe you can share how you did that because I think that'd be applicable to so many different things. Like we all have Chrissy Wellingtons in our mind, you know, these these...
1: Yeah, just things that make us feel small or that we feel like we can't overcome... Exactly. Well, you,
3: you read my blog. Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> do you remember? Maybe you could trigger my memory oh, on how shoot. I made her disappear. But it was an
1: exercise from, that you learned from Bob. Bob. That's right. Bob yeah. Palmer. Yeah. Right? yeah. And basically just went through, it sounded kind of meditative uh-huh. and just putting her out of your mind and just kind of getting to a place where instead of the focus being on her, the focus was on something else or potentially on yourself. And and just repeating it until you were no longer just stuck on,
0: yeah. on that. Yeah. And the sense yeah. for me is like Chrissy began to like just melt away as opposed to like seeing it and doing what we usually do with big scary things or things that make us upset where we just like fight them in our mind and resist them. Instead, you just like sat there. Mm, maybe you did that. And then she just melted away <laughs> right. and then you could walk forward. And it, that was powerful for me just, just uh, in my experience with meditation as well. Just... I think that's what meditation helps us do is, is it helps us melt away the Chrissy Wellingtons in our life. Yeah. Sorry, Chrissy, if you're listening, I'm sure Chrissy, you're a wonderful yeah. person. I love
3: Chrissy.
1: She's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: She's like, come on
3: guys.
1: Yeah. What are so you great. doing? Yeah.
3: I think like that puts a, um, that melting kind of, it puts yeah. a visual yeah. on the fact that, and the fact I feel it, I feel it. Um, right inside me right now that like actually Mm -hmm. of course Chrissy Wellington does not matter to my performance right right right. like of course that can and and you see it happen sometimes not with Chrissy in particular but at other points in my career where I felt like someone's better than me and if I truly believe that they don't matter like sometimes coming even coming second to that person can be this massive win right Right. for like even for other people around you recognize like Holy shit! Like she came two minutes behind Lisa Bentley. This is a true story. And it's like okay, like she's a legit pro, and I had I had lost to her, right? right. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um. So like, good can come out of if you good can come out of just focusing on your own performance and doing your best, even for those around you. It so, make,
0: makes me think of how everyone felt when they were racing Usain Bolt. You know, the, all the, all these times, yes. you know, The great Jamaican sprinter who yeah. uh, anybody, you know. Like if if they were like within a couple hundredths of a second, they were just being like, oh my gosh, you know like like the year that he got his um his world record of nine point five eight, and that that American who got nine point seven one, which would have been the like world record, mm-hmm. but it was totally glossed over because he was like thirteen one hundredths away from from a bolt, and so it just yeah it's, it's, all, it's right? all about perspective yeah. it's all about perspective because that's an amazing race that guy had whatever his name is we're probably, not even yeah, talking about it point right? that you his name we don't even know his but name but it's amazing it was a world record at the time until you know just so happened that Usain Bolt got the world record at the same time right so. and
3: I'd like to yeah. think that at a, on a personal level this would be individual but that that guy <laughs> at the end of his career can yeah. sit back and go okay yeah but yeah. that was pretty awesome that was like, amazing I did
1: that yeah. Yeah. yeah we'll get him on the podcast we'll yeah. mind him he probably has <laughs> a <Yeah>. Wikipedia whatever his <laughs> name is (laughs) awesome oh i'm i'm i've been thinking of ricky bobby a little bit through our conversation here and um if you're not first you're last and that that mindset like that's one perspective you can take and that's kind of how how you were feeling in your career but especially now i'm sure as a coach you don't want to instill that mindset on on the people you're you're working with because it's it's damaging it's Mm it just doesn't serve you at all Mm -hmm. especially in an individual sport like triathlon where you're literally like someone can have the best race of their life and you have the best race of your life and it you you finish in that position because that's how it worked out so um was it was that key was that perspective change key in being able to finally reach the top of the podium
3: I'm not sure. I'd like I'd like to say yes, you know, <laughs> <laughs> accepting that winning isn't everything was, was what changed everything for me. Oh yeah, because we never got to the end of that story. No, we didn't. Um, yeah. So I, I would like to say that it's. I, I'm not really sure that that like they didn't come full circle on that. Like I, I had been starting to let go of. The fact that it wasn't going to matter, you know, at the end of the day, like my my friends and family were still going to love me, even if I didn't win. But I, I think I kind of already knew that, you know, um, I think there's a lot of things tied up in in winning. And I think that with that part of it was that I knew that I knew that I could do it. Nice. Like I knew that given the right circumstances on the right day that I had like I had the skills and I was doing the training. Um, so I think. And I, I think that's Im- I think that's important. Like, I think yeah. it's important to um, and I and we were messaging yesterday. And I think I said this, that like we are cre- we have this culture, right, cultural moment right now where like just participating is celebrated as a win. Um, I know at my like at my kid's school, they changed the Terry Fox run to like instead of running a mile from like X point to Y point they actually just like run randomly around the field until someone <laughs> blows a whistle like there's no winner and there's no loser like
0: oh man and, yeah
3: and there's something lost there
0: for I me. hate that yeah I mean, honestly like I hate it
3: yeah like going after something once you identify that you're someone who could win like whatever your personal win is like that's how you're defining it right so mm-hmm. for me it was like winning ironman was something I could do it was in my realm of possibility yeah. right so if finishing that iron man is what's in your realm or whatever your other goals are like still striving to to do that is still really important it's it's how we handle the striving or how we deal with it after and whether we make it the only thing in our life like that's the problem yeah. right? like and it, it how we if we make it too much part of our identity so i didn't really feel like it was like win or bust like i was gonna fall back into depression if i didn't win so i don't think i ever really felt that Fully. um so that's that is to say <laughs> <laughs> i did oh yes so i did eventually end up at a place where i was like i might just like this might just be it mostly because i didn't want to do the training anymore i was kind of over it i was talking to a good friend of mine who's also a coach we went for a ride and she was like sarah i said i think i'm done like this is it she said sarah just train for two more weeks um And And I think that's a good, that's good life advice in general. If you're making a big decision, like Mm. pause button for two weeks, keep going about your normal life. And then if you still feel it, then that's it. Then it's time to make the change or move on or whatever. So that was great advice. Um, And then of course, two weeks later I was training great. Um, I then planned for whatever reason, I then planned to do three races in a row. Um, Two of them Ironman's. Um, I went to Ironman, Texas, and I ended up getting my period on race day and had like the worst race of my life. Yeah,
0: that's terrible timing. Yeah, it's Gosh. terrible.
3: Um, actually, I got my period like the day after. So like the worst days, we talk about this a lot like on our podcast, but... Yeah, we we don't ever talk, don't talk this about this. We don't talk about this? <laughs> yeah. So I... But it is a notable okay. obstacle. So okay. <laughs> maybe we should talk about it more. <laughs>
1: not sure if our perspective is going to be particularly <laughs> <Nope>. useful <laughs> no so we'll listen for now so,
3: From a performance point of view like the day before two days before you get your period is like the worst you feel terrible but it's also like physiologically you can't perform for a lot of people yeah. so that's what yeah. that's what hit me so i had this oh, so i didn't really know and then the next day i got my period and i was like oh okay that's what's happening yeah. um and this is Like this is 2014 so all of this kind of information I feel is out there now but it came out in the last like two or three years right right? so at the time I was like I swear (laughs) this is this is real like I ran (laughs) slow because of this Um, (laughs) (laughs) anyway then the next week I went to Brazil um, and I had been to that race in Brazil that was my sixth time there I I really love that race Um, I love the place and the people Mm -hmm. the course leaves a little something to be desired but um otherwise <laughs> otherwise it's fantastic and then i won um yeah,
0: yeah. you got to say more than just and then i won,
2: then I won. <laughs> so <laughs> anticlimactic
0: oh, come on give us more like on race stage did you have like the sense of like i'm feeling good i think this is it or was there a point in the race when you're like all right this is mine or was it just you know yeah. Anticlimactic.
3: Are, yeah. So I think one of the things, like, because I did Iron Man the week before. I don't know if you guys can imagine this, but it's, no. like, I, I, I'm on the start. <laughs> nope. You can imagine that it's physically fairly taxing. Oh, but, my God. Yeah. Yes. So yes. you're on the start line and you're like, hmm, I don't know if I'm going to survive this. Right. Just, like, one stroke at a time. Just start yeah. swimming and see how it goes. You know, that's what you're thinking. Um, And then the, it sort of came together because I sort of warmed up really slowly. And by that, I mean, like, over five hours of, like... Just like tick, 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 putting in the time, right? But what that meant was that in a race that takes not, about nine hours for the pro women, you, um, I sort of came into my own right at the right point. So mm. I had, so then for the next, after that first five or so hours, for the next four hours, I was kind of just like gaining momentum or going from strength to strength. So I came off right. the bike. When I came off the bike, I think I started running and I had running had always been my strength. Yeah. I started running. I knew who else was in the race and I know roughly how they run. Yeah, you know? right. So I'm thinking, okay, this like, this could be my day. Um, and then funnily enough, because I had tried for 10 years to win, um, when I crossed the finish line, also you're a little bit out of it. Right? Oh, I'm sure. So you're just like, my head's not really there. Mm-hmm. Um, I had taken a couple of Tylenols during the race because of the, muscle damage from the week before so i like just like those little things kind of made me a bit spacey um and i had traveled to that race alone as as we do so often as pros like we're just like one person support crew and then um and i had a friend there who was doing the live coverage for iron man so he's doing like the live texting Mm -hmm. um and he came out to see me and he and i went over and i was like sean and i gave him a hug and he's like Sarah, you won the race. <laughs> you need to like see all those photographers. <laughs> They're waiting for you. Like, wow. You need to go out there. You need to put your hands up.
0: <laughs> like, so you didn't even know. That's I just like I, was, like,
3: I sort of, I knew I had won, but I kind of just walked across the finish line as if I had come fourth because that's what I normally did. <laughs> and then like, he's like, no, you need to go out there. You need to go and you need to high five all those people. Right. Oh, it's
2: like, that's... oh,
0: that, wow. okay. that story literally reminds me of like the people who spend their whole lives trying to climb Mount Everest and then they get to the top and it's just like alright well let's go back down you know <laughs> right. they, they can't even stay up there for, for more, like a two minutes because it's so cold and they gotta go back down but they so at least have like,
3: an excuse because they can't breathe that's right like- <laughs> that's right
0: But still, it's just that same, like, it's like, that was the goal. But it's like, it was so much more than the goal, right? It was the process. It was the journey. It wasn't just the winning. It was the whole thing.
2: Yeah.
1: So reflecting back on what we talked about earlier with having reached that goal, Mm -hmm. what was, now you you didn't stop training, even though a few weeks earlier you'd contemplated stopping Mm -hmm. and you'd reached the goal that you've been working towards and you're like okay i did it and now let's keep going mm-hmm. so what describe that process and yeah. and and why you made that decision and and maybe it relates to that idea you talked about to avoid the kind of crash you know what, what quitting then might have been yeah. the worst thing you could do for yourself so how did that yeah. all play out
3: yeah so quitting i think of what i felt initially was oh i'm fit enough to win i should keep going oh i should do some more races, um, and I was 38, so that's pretty old for um, for anyone doing pro sport. Um, but I, what actually happened? This is another story. I actually, about a week later after that, I actually got like cyber bullied on Twitter what? about Man. the win. Yeah, um, we what? had this. We had this. Um, I don't know what you call him. I don't want to call him a journalist. He was a guy who got kind of famous on Twitter in triathlon okay. for making fun of the pros. So mm. he... And sometimes it was funny. Like, you could laugh along with some of the things he would post, you know, and he got these followers on Twitter, and then he created a website and started doing a podcast eventually. Um, but his his whole brand had been uh, built on throwing people under the bus, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so uh, he decided to throw me under the bus <laughs> um and it was and it, it actually became this like this really hard time um a, a week after mm. i had won like so he um mm. he started to like question my win and all this stuff like for it's just stupid it's just really stupid it's like way too technical details of triathlon to um to get into but um it felt really bad and i felt for I spent like a week of my life thinking oh like he's gonna take it away from me like Mm -hmm. i won and he's gonna take it away from me and i know now with retrospect that he that's not true and nobody can do that and that um but it just turned like this great moment into this really hard moment um i just kept training uh i kept training and then i went to a race uh three months later in Mont Tremblant in Quebec. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Great place. It was a new race at the time. It was the North American Championships, so um, I went there um, and without like just to race. You know, like I just I went to race like I had so many times before, Um, and it was a different kind of course, completely different course, hilly course, different to what Brazil had been. Um, And then I won that too. That's and and that was like a it was like a double. It was good because it reinforced it reinforced for me that all of those years when I thought I could win is like, I really could. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also it was just like a punch in the jaw for him. Yeah. I
1: was going to ask if you, (laughs) if you then told that troll to just stuff it at that point.
3: Yeah. I didn't, I didn't need to, because actually it was, it had become so big that, um, one of the announcers in the, in the pre-race media panel had actually asked, like actually asked me about it because people kind of knew that that's what, and, and he was like, He was like, did you choose to do this next race to um, like, what are you going to go out there and do? How are you going to show them? Is is kind of the question he asked me, Hmm. right? And so, and I was like, yeah, I really wanted to, um, yeah, to get like back in the ring and like, kind of.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, and and a couple things. Uh, There's there's a reason why Joe Rogan, who's a friend of the podcast, I think we can say. No, he he doesn't know (laughs) we (laughs) exist. Anyways, Joe Rogan famously talks about, um, social media just being like you should just never look at it, especially if you're a pro or, or, you know, famous or have a lot of followers. And so he he talks about just posting and dropping, dropping the mic and leaving and never looking at it. And there's mm-hmm. something to be said for that because, I mean, it's it's unfortunate you even knew about that. You know what I mean? And, and I wonder about people like yourself, like pros who that, that, that must just, take discipline to just not be looking at what people are saying because there's always going to be dickheads out there who are just like you know they've never made or created or competed for anything in their life so they're just going to spend all their time trying to bring down everyone else who is and um, why give them the time of day but yeah. yeah at the same time we are human right and words do affect us. And this,
1: <laughs> this dickhead seemed to have a bit of a platform. Yeah that which is unfortunate. It's, it's kind of hard to quiet the noise if, if that's the case. Yeah,
3: and one of the weirdest things about this guy too is that um, is that he would be? He was the same guy. He he would like email you later and go. I'm really sorry. Oh, I had to throw you under the bus, but I'm trying to build my brand. Oh
2: my gosh. <laughs> <They're> like,
3: huh? <laughs> like, mm. no, I no, I don't understand. And the other thing is, like, the people he's like, he did this to. Um, he did it to a, a close friend of mine as well. Um, for a different reason, threw her under the bus, and um, I just yeah anyway i, I don't know I, I don't know what he's doing now i think he's gone behind like a patreon wall or something but yeah
1: <laughs> it doesn't matter and i appreciate that we didn't name him uh i'm For sure thinking back to the ancient greeks uh someone who blew up the parthenon <laughs> um with, via some stupid uh explosion um they never in history they, they've they omitted his name because they didn't want that person's name to to live on so Let's carry that tradition on <laughs> and, and just you know, move on without him.
0: This is like the second podcast in a row that you know, Andrew's brought up, Ancient Greece.
1: I love the Greek. So what yeah. has
0: happened? Like, are you reading through something right now? I, or? I
1: studied a bit of Ancient Greece in, in university, so he's, I'm just so carry, he's, bringing yeah. that forward.
0: I like it. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so <laughs> I think a, a cool place to go next is w- we've spoken about reaching the goals and then the after effect and, and how triath- triathletes... There's always the next race. So what happened when you decided to, to finally hang up the cleats and, and bike and wetsuit?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Wow. Okay. Um, I definitely had a, uh, do you say, a gradual exit. <laughs> to take my own advice, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I had a contract uh, with Bahrain, with um, the Bahrain 13. There, there was a tr- professional triathlon team. Um, and they offered me a contract, but I was already kind of one foot out. Um, so I um, basically, I asked them if I could do less races and more kind of media and PR type stuff for them. There's a lot of political issues in Bahrain that a lot of people don't really understand, and I was super interested in. So I had already been like online in forums, like talking to people about the Middle East and sport and all kinds of stuff. So um, so I ended up for them. I did. I went on a lot of podcasts talking about um, why I felt it was a positive thing for um, the Middle East to have sports teams, um, which is a little different than what how other people felt about it. Uh, and so I did that, and I also raced a little bit in that year. Um, and then, because, oh man, there's so many like story tie-ins, like we had <laughs> we had basically uh, starting in 2015, we had created a movement for equal slots for the pro women at the Ironman World Championship. Mm-hmm. And I, I bring that up to say that I dealt with a lot of journalists at that time um, and like a lot of media in my sport and, and outside as well. Like I remember talking to a really switched on smart guy from Sports Illustrated. I was on a podcast, um, a Forbes podcast. Like I sort of, I sort of got this like immersion experience and like the media and the difference it could make and even though we ultimately didn't get the slots we really made an impact um and i started to feel like i might like to be part of um to become a journalist i looked into that like that might be a path i'd want to take so um i did an internship with a women's sport media company um for a little bit and I think I just transitioned out to 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 try to answer your question more succinctly by sort of throwing myself into other things that I felt connected to so that was my like so when you said before about sometimes people who are trying to win trying to win trying to maybe like keep trying but I I think for me it was more like I needed something that I was equally as passionate about yeah Mm -hmm. um rather than something I was good at. Because really in triathlon, I wasn't that winning. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like I wasn't using... Winning didn't become something that was fueling me. Like I, I know people like that who they love to win and they and they win all the time, you know, and it can fuel them to keep going. Sticking Chrissy Wellington, Yeah, like <laughs> Chrissy. <laughs> Poor. Poor Chrissy. I know. <laughs>
1: so what was it then? What was that value that was... Fueling you in triathlon, that you then were able to bring up in in the next yeah. stage of your life.
3: I think I with the with our push for equal opportunity for the pro women and the pushback that we got, and the fact that we still don't have equal slots, that that was really informative for me. I guess uh, that that there are actually people out there that don't think that women should have equal opportunity in sport, regardless. Um, that just seems. It still seems weird to me, mm-hmm. um, but that there was work to be done there. And I suddenly saw how big that was, like how, um, how big a money, you know, media wheel men's sport is and how tiny, tiny women's sport is. Mm-hmm. So that just like sort of, it triggered um, something in me that said, and and, and also that said, this is a place that I could make a difference. So like two things kind of met because I had had, um, because I, did win those couple races. And I had a bit of a voice. I don't have a, I don't have a huge voice or following, but I have a little bit of a platform. And then, um, so I had that. I had like a launch pad. And then I also had something I felt that I really, an area I felt I really, really wanted to make a difference. So that's where my world collided.
0: Awesome. What I love about your story is so many pro athletes, like you use the word identity, like that was their identity. So as soon as they retire, um, or sometimes they just, don't retire or they retire and come back and Mm -hmm. retire and come back. And it's just kind of sad seeing them not, not like end on a high. Um, It's because of the identity thing, I think, Mm. but you, you were able to, you know, led by your values and your passions continue on um, in the same realm, Mm -hmm. but, but in, in a way that was um, not so, uh, you know, attached to your identity.
3: Yeah. And maybe it was like, maybe it was the fact that I didn't win so much that made it like i couldn't make that ident that my core identity because right. i wasn't i wasn't a well known pro for so many years you know i just like i was known locally or maybe in canada you know but i i never reached that like next level even within triathlon like minor celebrity um so maybe that mm-hmm. you know i i wasn't able to use that to fuel anything so maybe that then allowed me to have some perspective
0: but you're being a bit modest I think aren't you
1: you do have a wikipedia page we're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not, have we not covered off you have a wikipedia page
0: <laughs> and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of downloads on your two podcasts which is just insane <laughs> so yeah um, we have another first we changed the batteries which we've never done on mm-hmm. a podcast episode which is just so metaphorical with running out, <laughs> running out of batteries in an iron man race yeah <laughs> But then also, um, Sarah has brought us some um, candies Mm -hmm. to the studio. What do we call them? Swedish berries?
3: I brought Swedish berries. Yeah.
0: And she (laughs) she said how gross it is to chew into the microphone. So Mm -hmm. we're not going to do that, but... (laughs) But
2: they are good because
3: I, I, uh, you know how I do CrossFit now. You know how CrossFit, like they're often oh, yeah. into like paleo. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, So oh. I'm like the one who has candy at CrossFit. Mm. I love it.
1: Is candy not paleo? The, <laughs>
3: the... <laughs> what? these Swedish berries come from a natural source. Yeah, so, don't worry. Yeah,
1: <laughs> awesome. So. I think this would be a great opportunity to transition. We wanted to chat up a little bit about podcasting and and now we're kind of getting into your life after professional sports, although still associated with it for sure, and, and coaching and, and being a mentor. Um, why live feisty? I, I mean, the answer might be obvious because... You know, like
3: why I start a media company or why I call it live feisty?
1: I was more interested in why I call it live feisty, but that... that answer is is fairly (laughs) self-evident uh hearing your story but um yeah why don't you tell us about the creation story of of the company
3: oh man okay so i think like i said i had been doing it in i guess kind of an internship which turned into me being a partial owner of another women in sport um startup and i as i got further and further into that business i realized that i didn't feel like their business plan was well developed, and I didn't think it was really going to work mm-hmm. in the quick enough for me to make money at it. Um, so I thought, uh, basically, I thought I could do it better myself. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of <laughs> sounds terrible, but I like it. I like, you know, what I could probably take. I could probably take one podcast you know make sure it gets out to everybody and make it at least big enough that i can have some sponsorship on it so mm. uh, you know you're not making a living off of one podcast with spots sponsorship but i thought that if i could at least do that and find that you know find out figure out how to do that with one i could probably repeat it and and do something with this um so Yeah, I guess I just, you know, okay, I I need to go back because I think there's a lot missing in sports media. I think there's a lot missing in triathlon media. Um, I had a little inroad with triathlon, obviously, because of my background. So I thought I can start with my sport. We can start focusing on like the Iron Women brand focuses on the women's race. If we were riding is more about, you know, social, cultural context, which of the sport, which no one talks about, like people in triathlon talk about power numbers, right. how to train better. There's a lot of that information out there, which is fine and needed. Um, but there were some big gaps, you mm-hmm. know, that I knew we could just step into and fill and that I hoped people would want to hear about and appreciate. Um, we started doing live coverage on Facebook when Facebook first launched their live. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, so cool. yeah, so we started like doing that under the Iron Women brand. So we were, again, focusing on the women's race, trying to highlight the women. Um, we have a newsletter that's become pretty popular um again like same same thing like for the people there was nothing really for the people in between and i'm stealing words from my podcast co- co-host kelly right now but perfect um between beginners you know who have sort of triathlon triathlete magazine they have some you know have information there for them and media for them and then um and then the data geeks, the, the guys who are like in the forums talking about the, the minutiae of, of training. <laughs> and in the middle, there was nothing, mm-hmm. um, which is a, is a massive community. So I thought, OK, let's create some things for, for that community. So that's what we decided to do.
1: Awesome. Mm-hmm. And what were some growing pains early on? And, and we can start talking about um, we can go a little meta and talk about starting a podcast and and. <laughs> Our own shared experiences because I know you, you, um, I wouldn't call you a fan of the podcast, uh, but it would be nice if you were. Um, but you listened to one of our episodes, and, and when we right, were talking right? about, I listened to, me, uh, no, <laughs> I listened to
3: three oh, really? and a half yeah. yes, oh, yeah. episodes,
1: and, and you wanted to, you had some questions for us, for maybe. Um, why, so, guys? <laughs> so what, why don't we, um, you can start about how, how you're. Own podcast experience started, and if you did have any questions or or advice <laughs> for for us, yeah, we'd love that to to bring that in. Yeah,
3: if you want to talk like minutia,
1: sure, let's do it all. Because
3: I'm like, I'm totally wondering about whether you've been satisfied with your equipment that I'm looking at right now.
0: So, like, the way I hear that question is you're not satisfied with our equipment. <laughs> no,
3: really, yeah oh no it's because that's, i don't that's I, fine. I don't have as good of oh really so i didn't oh, i didn't go that direction wow. yeah
1: so there's not a lot of other things to reference it in to reference it against but yeah i think it's it's working great if anything the best thing about our podcast is the gear yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah definitely
0: <laughs> Yeah, well, we, we were lucky early on. We, met, we uh, mentioned uh, Andy Robertson, uh, who's a documentary filmmaker. He helped us with, find all this. Like he, right. he knew that, did you say the minutiae? He knew the tech, technical parts and the, the stuff. This part, Andrew and I knew nothing about. I mean, nothing. So Andy really helped. I mean, he, he did this. He ordered this in the beginning.
1: Yeah, we uh, figured um, that listening to podcasts, there can be amazing content with terrible sound quality and nobody will listen. Yeah. So you at least need good sound quality. So we kind of started there.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then it's just finding your voice, and, yes. and and I'm not really talking about the technical part of that, although there is part of that, like um, realizing some of the things I did early on, which were grating on the ears and stuff, like chewing or, or like being really loud or laughing and really loud, like all those technical things, but more just <laughs> oh, sorry <about laughs> yeah, that or, or just <laughs> hitting the table randomly. Sean just knocked <laughs> over the table. I did. I did. All the Swedish berries are rolling around <laughs> right now, and we're still going to eat them. Um, but but more the voice of just like letting your personality yes. come through, right? Mm-hmm. And not feel like you're performing because mm-hmm. it's not a performance. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the biggest probably obstacle for me in the beginning is, you know, I come from a background where I'm giving speeches all the time. And so you're not doing that with podcasting. You're talking, you're interviewing. And Andrew was a big help with me in that because with his coaching background, mm-hmm. um, he's brilliant at asking good questions, as you know. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and But, and, uh, but yeah. I
1: had less comfort in like sharing my own experiences and being open myself whereas i kind of just wanted to like go into question answering and question asking mode and you know draw questions out of people but john was like he was always always still is willing to talk about himself and his own stories i was like and they're great so you know don't stop
0: that's all our intros basically yeah um (laughs) but i
1: was more reluctant to to be open and to like get into my own vulnerable right position
3: yeah that's that resonates so much with me. That was my same process and I think and I had come from academia before, mm-hmm. so I was used to or I valued like not opening your mouth until you've done all your homework and all your research and you really know what you're talking about. Right. So a lot of the stuff I wrote for um, fifty women to Conan around equality in my own sport, I had thoroughly researched, yeah. I'd done my homework. I you know, um I really Felt like then, like I knew what I was talking about. Hmm. So then, doing a weekly podcast is kind of the opposite. Like we always joke on our podcast about how we, like we like speculate wildly about the things. That, <laughs> like, I think if you name it, you are like, well, this may or may not be true, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but coming, like that's a that was a big arc for me yeah, to just right. be able to relax and talk and not be and I was really critical of myself because I say like a lot you know and I would hear my own laugh and I wouldn't like it and and there were you know it was hard I didn't I was someone who I didn't like talking on the phone Mm.
2: you know Right. When
3: texting became a thing, like the normal You're way to like, communicate, oh, I was like, thank, yeah, thank God. God. <laughs> because I like writing. I can write, you know, yeah. I'm like funnier on text than right. talking. Right. You can so,
1: make it perfect. Yeah, before you, send <laughs> it. Right. you can edit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: totally. So that was, so I didn't even like to order a pizza. So then to be <laughs> like, and, and to, to her credit, when I first got involved in my, um, in the other media company, the startup that I was involved in first, she had reached out to me and said, have you ever hosted a podcast? Do you want to? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't yeah. want to do that. Like, wow. she, I think she just said, do you have any broadcasting experience? <laughs> <laughs> do I come across like I have broadcasting yeah, yeah. experience? That's funny. Um, So, yeah. So there was definitely that process of finding a voice and not worried. At, like, the vulnerability is, is that you feel that people are going to judge. Like, once they're inside your own head and you're right. just talking in real time, that you're going to be judged for, for what's coming out.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, especially as someone who's been the victim of cyberbullying and mm-hmm. like had their their biggest accomplishment criticized on a semi decent platform, like where people are hearing that, it's, mm-hmm. you know, we're, it's easy to be self critical, but when there's other people that are coming at you and and criticizing as well, that makes it even more challenging. Yeah, the the concept of challenge has come up a number of times in this interview in this conversation. Yeah. And I'm curious, what is challenging you now? Mm
3: -hmm. Oh boy. Um, okay. So I think, yeah, I, I think I'm probably in one of the most challenging like moments in my life. Like right now. Um, I like in the last four years, I, you know, I retired from pro sport. Um, I had to sort of redefine my profession or decide what I was going to do um, I decided to start this media startup I broke up got back together with and broke up with my husband Um, so we're like we've been separated for a year now Mm. so I'm effectively like rebuilding all of these pieces of my life Um, and I'm sure you guys can appreciate um, the like how hard it is I'll, I'll talk about the startup piece first because like it's really hard to be financially not quite stable oh, so like yeah. i have this business that's like it's amazing and it's totally working and i'm ahead of schedule of where i expected to be and like checking all the boxes that's great that doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> that i'm being paid as much as i need to yeah. be paid that i'm able to like that i'm able to do all the things i want to do like for for year two we're good but um that's still a hard and not very secure place to be right and then on top of it you have the kind of like the emotional piece of going through like separation divorce at the same time and so i recognize i think anyway it's hard not to be hard on myself but i do have some moments in some days where i'm like don't be too hard on yourself like it's okay this is hard both of these things are hard i shouldn't have to deal with them at the same time but i do and that's just where it is so i'm still learning and building but i recognize from like from the back to the depression from like those big moments previously that this is the time when i'm also learning and growing so like i i essentially recognize like i'm almost like grateful within how hard it is because Mm -hmm. i know that um everything is going to be better coming out um
0: we have a word for that it's resilience resilience you've developed resilience over your many decades of getting hit and Mm. learning to pick yourself up and press yourself off and keep moving forward
1: yeah it is a trained habit yeah so i are there any resources or supports that you're leaning on now that might be useful for other people who are needing to lean on the resilience
3: um i think a couple things a couple things come to mind one is being able to being able to be like vulnerable with the people that love you in a way that's like not handing them all your emotional baggage, but actually um, actually trying to understand that yourself and then name it and then share it. Um, that's like a huge part of my process. so mm-hmm. um, but I do that a lot like i like if I'm super emotional, I do that kind of by myself before I. Then, then I'll reach out to someone to try to talk about it or share it as a second step. The other thing, with the business side, you always need a mentor, mm-hmm. right? Like, Or like you always need to be connected to people who have been on the path that you're on before yeah. you. That It's just so important to have someone who... Because it can totally normalize your experience, right? So I know when I'm... Um, if you're talking about your business with someone who's never done a startup right like they don't necessarily understand a how you can be like making money and not paying yourself (laughs) like that's not how business works like i've got a million other things i need to pay for before like just like little things like that you need need people who understand those kinds of things um as you're building or that like sometimes you can have like sometimes you can come out of a year in a deficit and that that's a big success (laughs) like that's you know like that that's a real thing when you're when you're running a startup so uh so yeah that those i think those that's the emotional side and then um yeah on the entrepreneur side that would be my best advice the
1: the concept of mentorship is one that interests me and and i would love to get your take on how to find the right mentor and and i'm someone who feels like i i could use a mentor of sorts but i i i haven't always had or i haven't i don't even know if i've ever really had somebody in that role and my guess is that's probably more about me uh not being very good at asking for help or accepting help um so what advice would you give me for finding that right person to be in a role of mentor
3: okay you just asked me the hardest question because i don't okay this is a place where we're in a moment of time where the fact that Um, Like the fact that I'm a woman has actually helped with that. Like I've, I've got all my mentors through the forum for women entrepreneurs in Vancouver. Um, I've been plugged in before too, to like the women's enterprising center. Hmm. Um, And so I suspect those types of things exist um, just for entrepreneurs in general. Mm -hmm. That's how I've got plugged in before. And then once you get like, Once I got plugged in, then it's like attending events and meeting people.
1: So so it starts with actually looking for help, is what you're trying to say. Yeah, basically, that's how I would. Well, I probably don't really.
3: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but also don't worry, you're fine.
0: (laughs) It's it's such a hard question too, just because how do you find a mentor with what area of your life? Like, there's just not one person who can like you know help you crunch the numbers as an entrepreneur, but also help you be a better like spouse or be a better father or be a better be, be better emotionally or be you right. know have self-care or, um, like there's just so many things there's there's not gonna be one person who feels that and so I, I think I think you know looking at multiple mentors in your life and part of it is just paying attention to those people that who you look up to are they in a place that you like to be in like do, do they do you see how they treat people and you you'd like to learn that we'll just start hanging around them more yeah, You know, and it doesn't even have to be an official thing where would you be my mentor, you know, and and you have the swearing in ceremony. It's just you start to hang. <laughs> you just start to ha- hang <laughs> around with them a little bit, Yeah, you know, and then... Um, You know you start to they start to rub off in you a little bit and so just keeping your eyes and ears open to those kind of people and you know that's one of the reasons actually why we go to yes all the time The your entrepreneur Mm -hmm. societies there's there's a lot of people in there that fit that description Mm -hmm. Um, since I joined it a couple years ago I mean my life's changed I met Andrew who you know Andrew's a mentor for me in some ways like he's nine years younger Mm -hmm. but I would count him as a mentor in areas of my life like with with self-care and and you know in balance and things like that i'll 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 text him and be like i need a coaching moment you know and he's like mobile coaching <laughs> and he sends me little texts on the fly and it, it, it's cool because you know there's we can learn something from everybody and so yeah. we can have yeah. mentors of all ages and all all types of people and it's it's just coming back to what we talk about the importance of connection mm-hmm. yeah human connection
3: yeah what you're saying is um resonating a lot i think especially with this year the theme of my business like in the second year has been that i have i guess i have seven people on contracts now so mm. now i'm i'm acting in a what do you say like a leadership but yeah. i have more like leadership it's not just me at my right. desk doing all this stuff right um and so as a result i've started to look at people and i'm i'm saying something that i know i should have learned 20 years ago but it's like i'm slow on the uptake but like looking at people like what are their strengths. Right. How can I leverage those strengths, make them feel good about what they're doing like within my business? Like probably okay. super basic. But um, but then I start to look around my world and go, oh, like I could do this, that same thing. Like I never looked at my friendships like that mm-hmm. before I started doing that, like in a leadership role. For I'm sure, like, Wait. yeah. Like, so I... I I was on the phone with a friend the other day and I just, I suddenly saw her in a whole new light. Yeah. Like she gave me this advice and I said, I can't believe I've been friends with this woman for like 15, <laughs> 20 years and I've never seen her super strength in this area. <laughs> and she just like gave me this advice. Like, I should just pay more attention yeah. to, like, cause I just, you know, you sometimes take your friends for granted. Yeah. Like they are who you are. You have your vibe. You can actually like you're doing your thing. And I, I am now starting to look at people more like, oh, like, what are their strengths? Mm-hmm. How can I encourage that? Like, what, do, what are my strengths in relation to them? Like, how can I develop that relationship um, more actively? I
0: guess. Well, and the only way to do that is, is through deep human connection. And we've moved away from that in our culture with mm-hmm. social media. And so it's just getting back to that's why Andrew and I love this podcast so much is because we have a deep human connection moment every week, at least. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we also do with our with, you know, our partners and our kids and other people in our life. Um, but we do at least on Wednesdays because it's a time when we put away the, f- there's no phones in here. As mm-hmm. you can see, you know, we got Swedish berries, we got tea <laughs> and we're just sharing, we're doing life together. And mm-hmm. and that's so important. And, and that's, that's really what I think of when it comes to mentorship mm-hmm.
1: yeah. and surrounding yourself with the right people. And, and yeah. we are the average of the five people who we spend the most time right. with. Right? That's right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's scary. That makes me approximately a nine year old. <laughs> So. Hey, there's there's good good in that. Sure. <laughs> That's, you know, true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah,
1: I think it's about time to to wrap up and and just focus more on the Swedish berries and and not have to worry about what our our voices sound like on the microphone. But I'm wondering if if there are any um, if you have any words of of mentorship for for people listening or or any uh, parting gifts that you might be able to leave our listeners through through the experience that you've had and and through living feisty and uh your life.
3: Wow. Okay. Just the small questions now at the end. Um I think what I would say is um or the thing that the thing that I've been recognizing the most right now in my life is that is to not be afraid to follow your heart into situations because you you'll be able to handle it no matter what happens. Like Mm -hmm. people protect themselves Mm -hmm. um, in a variety of ways from um, heartbreak or what they perceive might, because of what they perceive might go wrong. Um, But if you throw yourself in and you just follow your heart, like you will, if it doesn't go right, which sometimes it doesn't, like you will be able to handle it, Mm -hmm. right? And -hmm. then, so the only, there's only two things. Like you're either going to handle it and you're going to grow and you're going to move forward or where you're going to get what you want totally what you want for that situation. Right. Like you're, um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that's, I think that's what I would leave on.
0: Amazing. I I love that. Yeah. That's like the song of resilience right there. Mm -hmm. It's going to be fine no matter what.
3: And thanks you guys for having me on. I appreciate you both. It's been, it was great to meet you at that. Yes. Event. And I'm glad we got to do this.
1: Us too.
0: Yeah. This is, this is awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. all right on to the berries
1: <laughs> <laughs> well that's the episode thanks so much for tuning in everyone we appreciate your time and attention if we can make one request please subscribe
0: how do you do that, John? They
1: push subscribe. That's all you got to do.
0: We also got social media, guys. We've got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Please like us and follow us there. We also got a really fancy website.
1: ObstacleCoursePodcast.com. That is the one. It's where you'll find our show notes and lots of other goodies. And if you have somebody who'd be great for the podcast, please let us know. Send us a message on any of those networks and we'll bring them on.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure. We're always looking for good people. Thanks
1: for listening. Keep pushing through those obstacles.